Hi, I'm Mick Barry. Welcome to the podcast by Michael Edelstein on rational motive behavior therapy. We've had a little bit of a problem technically this morning, so I've got Michael Edelstein on the telephone, and he's going to participate by texting me and letting me know if he has something to say, and I'll repeat it since I don't think you'd be able to hear him. So let me just start by introducing rational motive behavior therapy. It was started in the 1950s by Albert Ellis, who was recognized at one point by Psychology Today as having the most influence on the field of psychology and therapy than anybody, including Freud. And rational emotive behavior therapy states that it is not the things that happen to us that cause us to be emotionally upset, that cause anxiety, depression, or rage, but the way that we think about it. Is there anything else you'd like me to mention here, Michael? Okay, so it's called the Three Minute Therapy Podcast because Three Minute Therapy by Michael Edelstein is a book that explains rational emotive behavior therapy in great detail. And it's also called Three Minute Therapy because the exercises in the book can be done in segments of three minutes. So today we have a guest who just has questions about REBT. I'll be calling it REBT rather than rational motive behavior therapy because it's quicker. Um, so we have a guest who just has questions about REBT and I will answer them and Michael Edelstein will answer them also and tell me what his answer is. So we're going to refer to our guest as John Doe. So John, uh, you want to fire away with your questions? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on today. Um, so, sure. you know, my first question is, uh, I, I, you know, I broadly accept this premise and I actually think it's pretty elegant uh, because, like, you know, when you introspect, it, it is your perceptions about events that cause your emotions and not the events themselves. The thing is, though, if you take this to its uh, logical conclusion, I worry that it absolves your responsibility in a way. So, you know, if you were to like assume, you know, the bond between say a parent and child, right? If I were to like die tomorrow, let's say, I I have no intention of doing this, but let's assume there were a version of me that committed suicide. Uh, A big part of what would prevent me from doing that irrespective of what of how serious my problems were is that it would make my parents feel bad. Right, right. right. Very, or, very good. Uh, did you want to say more there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, just wanted to finish up on that. Is that it's not so much my death that is making them feel bad, but their assumption that I would live forever, for, I would outlive them. Right, right. So, so it's like if I'm not responsible for their emotions in any way then uh, I have no, uh, I can hurt them without worrying about it at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, well that, worry, that, yeah. yeah, that's Thank a good you. question. I, I have an answer. Was there more that you wanted to say? Yeah, yeah, no. I, I mean, I had a few more points about this, but this is the core of the problem. That yeah, I right. Okay. Now, we do create our own emotions by the way we think. However, REBT does not say just 
forget about everything and don't care about what you do, it's obvious that some situations are by and large more difficult for most people than others. If you have a child or a friend who commits suicide, that person is creating circumstances which are very difficult to deal with, okay? Now, it would be your parents or somebody close to someone who commits suicide that reacts to the situation. However, if we have, like I've had friends that have committed suicide actually, and I've talked about this with Michael, if I care about them then and they commit suicide, I'm going to feel bad. And it doesn't take much to connect the dots to say, well, if I kill myself, the people who care about me are going to feel bad. What makes them feel bad is that they do care about me and it's good to care about people. But if they didn't care about me, then they wouldn't feel bad. So they're feeling bad because they care and it's good to care about people and be close to people and have that intimate connection. And if I'm going to have any consideration towards other people, I don't just do whatever I feel like doing, knowing that they're going to be, knowing that they will be upset about this because they care about me and I want them to care about me. Michael, I see you're on the screen now. I think you can participate. What's your answer to this? Actually, I didn't hear the discussion because I was doing the technical stuff. Um, okay. I can tell you what I said. John was asking if it's our circumstance, not our circumstances that upset us, but the way we think about them, then why why would he care whether or not he committed suicide because it would be upsetting to his parents? And, uh, and what, uh, but it would be his parents that are making themselves upset. And what I said was, yes, but it doesn't take much to conclude or connect the dots that certain situations are more difficult for people than others. And if people care about us, then it simply stands to reason that if we do anything to harm ourselves, especially something as extreme as suicide, they will be upset. But it's because they care. If they didn't care, they wouldn't be upset. And it's nice to have people care. And so it's good to be considerate of other people. I don't do certain things that are going to be harmful to me principally because I care about myself. But then I also don't do things that are going to be upsetting to other people because it's not too hard to figure out when other people will become upset. Exactly. Because just because other people will upset themselves, that doesn't mean that you don't care how they feel. So uh, you, since you do care about how they feel, since they're going to upset themselves uh, and you don't want them to upset themselves, so you try to treat them well and do things that they're not gonna upset themselves about. Nick, did you raise your hand? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to, well, I gave you a thumbs up. Oh. And, and I just think along those lines, it doesn't take too much thought to know that if people care about me and I do something that hurts me, they're not going to, they will be unhappy about it. And outside of me uh, hurting myself, um, I don't want to do things that other people will be upset about. And even outside of me hurting myself, 
if somebody is planning on getting together with me and I have made a commitment to them to get together, but something else comes up that I would prefer to do, well, if I've made a commitment to them, I'll follow through on my commitment to them, even though I will not be as happy because I like to have a connection and having people that know that they can depend on me. And sometimes that means relinquishing what I want for the sake of our friendship or our relationship. Yeah. John, did you want to say something? Yeah. I, I wanted to say it, 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 caring is an emotion, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it kind of arises from, so the question you ask, let's say I, I say I care about my parents or I care about my partner. It's like, why do I care? And you can kind of come up with a bunch of different reasons and say, hey, yeah, I care for X, Y, and Z reason. But once you do that, you might say me caring about this makes me unhappy right now, right? Or in the long term, like this, 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 me, my caring for this person makes me unhappy because they're whatever. Let's say, right, let's say, exactly. let's say your yeah. partner is an alcoholic or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, Mick, go on. I wanted to say caring isn't just an emotion. Caring is also a behavior. And it's the same way that love is an emotion, but love is also, as I talk about with people, love is also a verb. It's something we do. There are loving acts. And so it isn't just an emotion. It's also a behavior. Caring well, is an emotion and a behavior. Uh, I have a different view there, Mick, and that is uh, if you love someone, uh, it could uh, be part of a behavior, uh, an emotion and a behavior, but it may not. For example, if you could love, you could read uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson and love what he says, and I really love this guy. He's so brilliant. What a great philosopher, but there's no real uh, behavior there. Mick? Well, I was going to say, I didn't mean it's always the same, always both things at the same time. It can be either or, but it, it can be both an emotion yeah. and a behavior. Right, right. John, is your hand still up from before or is that a new? Oh, thing? yeah, no, it's up from before. I need to bring it down. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you don't. If, uh, according to your hypothesis or hypothetical example, John, you don't want to feel bad, so you're not going to love anyone, well, you could do that. But anything, any preference you have in life, for example, you prefer to get out of bed in the morning, and if you sleep late, you're going to feel bad because you have that preference. So if you give up all your preferences in order not to feel bad, then you won't have a life at all. You'll stay in bed all the time, and that won't work because you'll feel bad about that, Mick. Yeah, I wanted to say, John, you bring up a very good point. If I am married to somebody and they are alcoholic, I care about them, but I cannot control their behavior. So then what we have is a situation where there is quite likely conflict in me caring and them hurting themselves and not doing, being able to do anything about it. And this is where it gets complicated. However, 
even if somebody I care about is doing something that's harming themselves and I can't do anything about, it's still possible for me not to have anxiety about it. And I think it's okay, Michael, if I throw in one thing I know about 12-step programs in Al-Anon, there is a quote, many of us have found serenity and even happiness, whether the alcoholic is drinking or not. And so even though somebody you're close to, somebody you care about a great deal is harming themselves, we still do not have to have emotional distress that debilitates us and makes our life and our behavior dysfunctional. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Okay, John, uh, are you happy with that answer? No, that makes a lot more sense. I think I think it's like, I think the gist of what you're saying is you should have preferences, but don't have them being excessively strong, which kind of, you know, Not quite. We're saying uh, have preferences and even have strong, passionate preferences, but don't make them into demands, must and should. Yeah. And uh, John, you said one word in there. You should have preferences. That's um, we try to be semantically precise, not to reprimand you or anything. I just wanted to point out we don't tell ourselves I should have preferences and not demands because that's a demand right there. It's more precise to say I'll do best to have preferences and not demands. I want to strive as much as I can to have keep my preferences and even my strong preferences and my extreme passions as preferences, things that I don't have to have. It does take practice because the more we want something, the greater our preference, the easier it is to turn it into a demand. But that doesn't mean with practice, it can't be achieved. And there are some people that are so well put together emotionally that they don't have to fool with anything with REBT. They just happen to do this on their own. But what Albert Ellis did was identified, this is how you can have mental health. This is how you can screw yourself up. Hey, uh, John, John, let's move on because uh, time is short. Uh, We started late. Do you uh, have other questions? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I, I, I'm interested. One last question. I'm interested about like, how do you take responsibility and and treat it as a preference? Does that make sense? Like when you feel responsible for other people, or let's say you're running an organization, or you know, running some project that that where you need to manage the actions of other people to get things done how do you do that while remaining emotionally detached in this well we don't want to be emotionally detached we want to be emotionally attached because we have preferences so if i could reframe the question how do you do that without emotionally disturbing yourself without getting anxious depressed or angry yes yes that's what the answer is look for the must look for the shoulds that you have in your head that are disturbing you and question challenge and contradict them 
Uh, Mick, did you have a last thing to say? Yeah, I wanted to say it's interesting. You know, you use the word detached. I've heard that often from people that become involved in spiritual pursuits, particularly Eastern ones. And my observation is that people use the word detached when what they really mean is free of demands. And as Michael said, we want to care about the outcome of a situation without demanding that it has to go our way. And to be more specific in answering your question, when you are working with people and you're in charge and you want things to go well, then you want to, you'll do best to remember, I want to be as evaluative and as aware of what I can do that will solve this particular problem. There is no guarantee it's going to work out. And I had best weigh all the possibilities and make the best decision for everybody involved here. But if I demand that I have to make the best decision, I will easily start putting myself down. I could put other people down. I could put down the task at hand. And I won't be able to act as efficiently when we get rid of our demands and keep our preferences however strong, we're more able to assess the tact that we want to take to solve problems and get the job done. Yeah, very good, very good. And uh, if you want to learn more about this approach, uh, John, uh, we have many, I think we have over 200 podcasts like this one, where we discuss the ins and outs of rationally motivated behavior therapy. And I have a book, as Mick mentioned earlier, Three-Minute Therapy, uh, which just elaborates on the theory. Mick, did you want to say a last thing? Yeah, I just wanted to say, John, you have our email. So any more questions, uh, feel free to send me an email. We can talk on the phone or on Zoom, whatever you'd like. Yeah. For sure. Okay, very good. And... Uh, so just to wrap up, uh, John, thank you so much for volunteering. I think this was a very informative program. Thank you, Mick, for being my able co-host. That's Mick Berry. And thank you, Chris Rossini, our tech engineer. Comment below if you have thoughts or you'd like to volunteer. John survived, and you would too if you uh, become a volunteer. Give us a thumbs up if you enjoyed this. Suggest subjects and uh, subscribe to the Three Minute Therapy Podcast to stay on the rational side of life.